Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. This is always the time of the year that I love best. I don't know if my buddy Dan Colarusso does, but this is the time that all the sports intersect. we got uh, the golf playoffs over. We've got the uh, NASCAR playoffs heating up. Major League Baseball playoffs just starting. Football at the quarter pole. College football as well. Basketball, baseball. You want it, you've got it. But we've also got some business issues, and that's where Dan Colarusso, the Worldwide global editor of Reuters comes in. How are you? I'm doing well, Rick, but I think you're talking about how great the sports scene is right now is rubbing some salt in my wounds. That, that um, my baseball team's not in the playoffs, my football team's 0-4. When your last hope as a sports fan is the Brooklyn Nets, um, things are tough. So I'm going to live vicariously through you and the Cubs and the Dodgers and and hope that kind of keeps me going for the next few months. Yeah, I understand. Well, but what, hey, by the way, what we don't have is a clear path to college basketball being clean um, as it might have been earlier. We have some huge indictment, indictments and huge investigations. What's your take on all that? Well, I, I, this is a, I, I can't say I'm shocked by it, um, but I can't say that I'm surprised that somebody finally drilled down, that some government lawyer finally drilled down to do it. I mean, we all knew about the shoe companies and kind of the, the whispers were always out there and the influence and the, the soft money that gets thrown around the industry um, was kind of common knowledge. Um, but much like FIFA, um, FIFA was far more nefarious maybe, but the same way the, the, the Eastern District of New York, the federal prosecutors took down FIFA, this is a, I think it's a, it's a, a really tough shot for the NCAA. I mean, where do they go? I'm, I'm, let's talk about marketing for a minute. And the NCAA as a marketing machine and March Madness and all the stuff that goes with that. How do you, if you were running the NCAA right now, if you were in charge, how do you market in the face of this, both to young players who, you know, get criticized for being one and done, but that doesn't seem so bad right now in a system that feels so corrupt. Um, how do you market? How do you keep the value of this asset up? Well, and the harder question, it's difficult. But the harder question is, where do you think the investigation leads to in the next year? Because it's hard enough marketing when you have four assistant coaches from Southern Cal, Arizona, Ohio, Oklahoma State, Auburn, but then Louisville, Miami, and others may be indirectly implicated, South Carolina as well. But then these are assistant coaches. Does it reach as high as Patino? Where does it go? Do you indict assistants to try to get the big guys? Or do you, and, go, do you go with the sneaker company executives? I mean, it, yeah, was, well, it was and, a part and, of a and marketing obviously, plan. Let's not forget, that's where a lot of this started, with the dollars thrown around by the sneaker companies and then the uh, issues of who pays whom to get kids to recruit and where do the kids ultimately go. So let's assume that the indictments that have happened are the only ones right now. You've got schools who have raised, in the Auburn case, their revenue is about $13 million. They've generated a lot of money in the university's NCAA tournaments. Look at South Carolina, Arizona, USC, 
Louisville, Oklahoma State, Miami. We're not saying they're indicted, nor we're saying they're directly implicated, but those have been mentioned. When you add the money up in 2017 to the tournament, it gives you more than $30 million. So marketing becomes really tough. And putting together an athletic budget, given all of the uncertainty, becomes even tougher. Right. And as players look to, you know, derive value from their personal brands, uh, do great young high school players want to start off with a taint, <laughs> you know, of being in with one of these programs? So there, there's a real cycle here uh, that goes, and these are not small schools. These are not insignificant schools. Um, this is a really interesting cycle that we're going to take it into, and I, it'll be you know, the NCAA has been, you know, under scrutiny socially, financially, legally for many, many years now. And it will be interesting to see what iteration, it, you know, it comes out here. If it uses it, if it goes into crisis mode, does damage control like any corporation and comes out of it, or if it takes it as an opportunity to say, let's figure out a different economic model because this thing where, you know, Kids are kids are stealing video games and coaches are multimillionaires. Um, it isn't working for us. Well, and, and one more comment before we go on, because we're going to be visiting this a lot, to be sure. The core allegation is that um, agent or runner X funneled X amount to a player to get him to commit to school X, then sign with the sneaker company and then the agency once you turn pro for representation, you fill in those blanks, you have a heck of a lot of schools you're dealing with. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And every school with a, with a high-profile name, every, you know, every school that's going to go you know, one game deep into the tournament is going to have that logo on them, uh, and, and, that's, and that's the payoff, right? Yep, and it rocks maybe the industry to the core, and that's an interesting segue because let's define what the core means PricewaterhouseCoopers comes out with an annual survey that reflects the growth of the sports industry broadly defined. The growth rates over the next year, according to the study, will be down from 8% last year to 6.5% this year. And cynics are saying, well, you know, that's a 20% decrease. And then realists are saying, yeah, but still, I'd take a 6.5% growth rate anywhere. But then realize when you drill down on this, they talk about Olympics and the ads and the difficulty there, and they talk about um, how the kids are watching other stuff, like eSports. And so we'll get into that in a few minutes. But what's your take on that whole study? Yeah, I mean, six, look, 6.4% is, would be good growth even for the Chinese economy these days, right? So, we'll, we, you know, 6.4 is not a, not a number to be trifled with. But I think you and I have touched on this since this show started. There is a changing nature of consumption and value and the, the formula that goes behind it. And as sports lose uh, uh, the young audience, which has turned away so many other industries and disrupted so many other industries, you know, the onset of esports has changed this equation. Now, that's a thing. Uh, are, are, is there a generation that's going to grow up ra that would rather watch um, people play video games um, then watch figure skating at the Winter Olympics. That's a dramatic shift on a level of corporate marketing dollars, of TV rights, uh, of almost anything. Um, Olympic boxing, which you remember was a huge sport when, when I was young, probably when you were young. Um, did they have gloves then? Uh, th no, we, we did it. We, we did it with uh, the the old uh, the old leather helmets, and you you know you, you put the uh, uh, the calligraphy on the trees. Right, bare bare knuckled. Yeah, um, no, right. but, yeah, but, exactly. but um, no, but but it is it is the thing. Like that whole sh that that is gone. That's not coming back. Um, so I think the sports industry. You know, we you know I think in the study 
the Olympics seems to be showing signs of slipping in winter sports specifically. Um, and I can say we've seen that in traffic and, and things around the Reuters assets. But w- why don't you address that? Like, how is Korea shaping up? I mean, this doesn't bode well. The next Winter Olympics is at, you know, the border of the, the you know, the, the hottest zone in geopolitics right now. Uh, yeah, 20, 20 miles from the demilitarized zone. And, you know, the, uh, the uh, n- uh, number is that the, uh, uh, again, you know, Reuters uh, uh, delivered this uh, bit of news that South Korean Banks Federation pledged to buy nearly a million dollars worth of tickets as part of their, quote, social responsibility efforts. The first phase of uh, ticket sales, not surprisingly, was utterly underwhelming. That's their number, a 1.7, million total target for tickets, 60% coming from overseas customers, woefully under that, and if you're in a war zone or a maybe war zone, it's difficult anyway. And so the answer is, when you look at the reasons behind the uh, assumptions of reduced growth, the growth is great, but you got to understand what about the future, and one of the big future issues is Olympics. Where is it going? What's happening? I think L.A. and Paris down the road, two major cities and major time zones, will change all that. But let's remember, you know, you, you go into Korea, uh, then you go to Japan, which again is is that time zone, and and then you you know you come back uh, to Beijing to uh, China again for the summer, the Winter Olympics. So it doesn't get any brighter. And as far as esports, we'll we'll cover that in a couple of minutes. But 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 before we go there, um, baseball starting, the playoffs are starting. Um, how about your Mets? Let's leave that alone. You know there are many teams in the playoffs. They are not one. No, but not. it is interesting. Where, where where are you going? What what's our prediction? And what's your big issue in baseball these days? Um, my big issue in baseball these days is um, the the proliferation of strikeouts. It's not a new issue, but it, it is it is an irksome trend to see the unproductive outs. Um, that's that's my one thing. The, the length of the games, I think the games have become more manageable. I think there are some great rivalries. You know, we're back with the Indians. We have the Yankees in. We have the Dodgers. We have the Cubs. There's a nice group of good market teams in there. So this playoff season should kind of, you know, represent kind of the, the kind of buzz we saw last year too, right? Yeah, and I think it's a really, really exciting time where anybody can win, and this is a beauty of the playoffs and that one-and-done People didn't like it before, but it sure kept a lot of teams in the race. I think it's a brilliant move. One other tech issue, by the way, VR, virtual reality, continues to fuck, uh, grow as a form of entertainment for consumers in baseball. Comerica Park, where the Tigers are not in the playoffs, but they're perfecting a way to generate some fan excitement, hitting against major league pitching, uh, examples of interactive experience. And VR, they say, is going to be a very useful training tool to give players a better feel for different angles, ballparks, arm angles. It'll be fascinating to see how VR affects the entire sport of baseball in the next few years. So can you foresee a day where you watch your Mets on VR and hope and wish uh, very fervently that they're actually in the playoffs this year? What do you think? Well, I think, well, aside from the fact that I think they were about three people away from calling me to start a game this year, um, that the, the, uh, the VR thing is really interesting. It plays into the whole stat craze. Like when you could be in VR and you can do arm angles of pitching releases, uh, batting stances, and you could chart things and, and bring up data in augmented reality. Let's say you're watching the game and you could point your app at, at your screen or at a field 
and bring up a whole like enriched screen of data around a player. That's fantastic. You don't have to wait for, for the announcer to say it. You don't have to wait for the scoreboard to do it. There's a great database, and you could know how many times, you know, Ahmed Rosario has, you know, gotten a hit with runners in scoring position. Like, there's a whole richness to the live experience that I think teams need to push technologically. You, you've talked about it in basketball and hockey, but I think baseball has always been the nostalgic live experience, but I think the game has become the stat head game as well. And from there... You know, that live experience has to stay premium because those TV contracts are going to get a little thin. I think that's where you're going to see some growth and some interesting projects. I think it's obvious the whole tech area in all sports is another way to attract millennials to every sport, stick and ball uh, included. And so we promised we'd get back to esports and cover it for us as a major sport. Took a while, but we wanted to get one of the best people in the business to do it. It is ironic that they're talking about, by the way, adding esports as soon as Paris 2024 to the Olympics. The IOC making decisions in 2020, events finalized in 2021. You talk about boxing, Thomas Box says he's pro, pro, he's uh, predisposed to look at this as long as they don't use the violent games. And then uh, the critics are saying, well, what about boxing in the Olympics? That was violent. But the fact that they're even talking about it makes us feel good about the possibility of it happening. Christina Alejandre joined Turner Sports in March 2016 as the general manager of the E-League. She's the commissioner of that league after serving 15 years in video games and new media world. I didn't think it even was in existence for 15 years, product development for Nickelodeon and Viacom and others, Octopi, Tribune, Warner Brothers. She is it in esports. And if you want to know a little bit more about that business and that sport, Christina Alejandre. Ricaro Sloan MIT Analytics Conference, and it gets bigger every year. And it's noisy during lunch because there are hundreds of thousands of aspiring students that want her job. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. These are demographics that I have no idea about, but we're going to even delve into something even more significant. It's a trillion dollar business, and I know mainstream sports, but I'll be the first uh, uh, to uh, uh, admit, Christina Alejandra, I have no knowledge of esports. So these next 15 minutes are a wild ride. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for well, thank Hold you for on, here we go. Hold on, here we go. First of all, you are uniquely qualified. By the way, she is the general manager of E-League yes. and vice president of E-League for of of for, of, of for esports for Turner, for Turner Sports. Sports. Yes. So yeah. obviously, the connection between television and the E-League not only is important; it, it is joined at the hip. Yes, correct? it is joined at the hip. It's part of um, the Turner Sports DNA. E-League was formed in a joint venture with our partners WMIMG, um, but on the production side, Turner Sports is driving that. So. Here's the thing that qualifies, obviously, Christina as an expert in the field. Led business development for 38 studios in Octopi, any company that's named Octopi, you know it's a young <laughs> demographic company. Licensing and product development for Nickelodeon and Viacom. Yeah. So you take all of the knowledge of graphics, entertainment, kids, yeah. and you put it to use in a really unique sport. So tell us about it. Yeah, I definitely have. Um, I'm a little bit of a unicorn in the esports space in that um, I have spent my entire career in the video game industry. So whether it is on the licensing side and product development side, whether it's on the business development side, publishing, um, and then esports, I have combined the two into this amazing job and opportunity. And I'm very well aware that the uh, college students here are definitely gunning for my job. And 
um, it's a fun job to have. Yeah, but you're entrenched and they're not, so <laughs> there. So unicorn in a unicorn space, which is quite an interesting dynamic here yeah. when we think about it. Talk quickly about, dispel the argument the cynics use that this is not sports. Look, you have people competing at a very, very high level, and while it is not a traditional stick and ball sports, like make no mistake, like these players and people have been basically dedicating their lives um, to compete. Um, they practice, you know, 40 hours a week, and it is deliberate practice. It's not just them playing video games. They're watching replays of other teams and what they're doing. They're developing new strategies. They're in-game leaders, much like there are in stick and ball sports. They have coaches, um, and uh, you know, they are they are competing at a very, very high level. Um, I would look at the phenomenon of esports. Um, David Levy, he's the president of Turner. Sure. Yeah, little yeah. little known guy. Yeah, little known. Um, but he was telling me the story about um, his son um, Jake was in his room and he was watching video games on his computer. He was watching people play video games. How old? And Jake was probably around the time he's probably like sixteen or seventeen okay. at the time. Okay. And um, so he was like, "Why are you watching that? Like, I, why are you, like?" And so and Jake explained it really, really well. And I used this example. He said. Dad, like, you're a big hockey fan, right? And David said, yeah. And he goes, okay, so do you go to the games? Yeah. Do you watch it on TV? Yeah. yeah. Why do you do it? Well, I really like hockey, and I like seeing people compete at yeah. this elite level and seeing their technique and what they do. And Jake said, that's exactly why I watch eSports. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for people to kind of translate that, that was a really great way of explaining it. So all the business plans and all of the other analysis is fine, but the Turner family got sold into the deal right there. Yeah, basically. I mean, the Turner family got sold into the deal. Uh, TBS was going through a whole rebranding exercise, really trying to hit that 18 to 34 year old uh, demographic. And, um, you know, esports was something that, that really resonated within that, that demo. So um, it seemed like the perfect fit and we just needed to kind of find the right partner around that and we have entered into a really great partnership with WMEIMG and, and that's how we were born. So now we have situations where entities are actually creating esports stadiums. We yep. have one in Vegas now mm -hmm. and other places. Uh, did we ever know when David Levy got the epiphany from his son in that room that it would ever get this big? I don't I don't know. I you know when I took the job um, they had already made up their minds that they were doing e-league and I was definitely cautiously optimistic. I was I was a little bit worried that you know they, that I would come in and they would kind of treat it as this little like side project or fun project that Turner Sports were, were doing. And what we found was or what I found was that Turner Sports treated it like any other sport under their verticals. You know, we have the NBA, we have NCAA, um, and they treated E-League with the same care and respect that they do any of the other sports franchises that we work on. We had Emmy Award-winning producers, Emmy Award-winning directors. We have on um, the WME IMG side even, you know, we have like the yeah. president of all business affairs intimately involved in what we're doing day to day. Um, and so it was really, it was really treated like any other sport. And I think that you can you can see that so when they made the decision to go into esports they definitely went all in where's the competitive side going more teams more leagues more uh, cities being represented what's it look like in five years 
You know, I think that we will see a little bit more regulation in the space as it relates to teens and players. Um, right now, it's a very volatile market. Um, you see a lot of teams switching randomly. They have, a, they even have a phrase for it. They call it roster apocalypse. Um, and wow. so, um, right now, we Stick you know, ball sports have roster apocalypse, yeah, but for different reasons. But for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, um, but this is, I mean, you'll see after a major event. You'll see six, seven, eight, nine, ten teams like swapping rosters completely or dropping people, and um, there's no real kind of rhyme or reason because sometimes it will happen mid mid kind of season or mid competition, um, and so we'll see a little bit more not regulation but uniformity I think in the space and as the, as it grows and becomes a little less nascent. Sponsorship, obviously, it's a no-brainer to say it appeals to the young demographic, yeah. but major sponsors feel like this is something they should ride in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and, and, and we at E-League have had a lot of success with bringing in a lot of non-endemic sponsors to the space, um, having you know sponsors like Arby's come in and, and really creating content that appeals directly to that esports kind of core community. Um, and this is a very engaged community. And what you'll find is, for a non-endemic sponsor, if you embrace the if you embrace that competitive community, they'll embrace you right back. Um, and we've seen a lot of success with those partners. So, uh, long-term economics, mm -hmm. obviously the television component uh, and the sponsors came together at the same time, but yeah. where, how, do you, how do you ensure the success of the league, long-term commitment on the TV side, mm -hmm. but what, what other parts do you need to make sure get buttoned up in the future? For us, um, you know, we're not just TV. We are uh, primarily one of Turner's sports first digital native yeah. um, sports. And so we know that people are going to watch on their own terms, um, whether they're going to watch sitting at their computer or sit at their couch and watching on TBS. So, you know, for us, it's really important to be as platform agnostic as possible um, as it grows and give the same viewing experience that somebody would find on digital as they would on linear. Finding clever ways to integrate sponsorships and partnerships um, and that's how we're really working to ensure the long-term success because as technology evolves as the way people watch evolve we want to basically be on the forefront of that so as media gets turned on its face and people don't care about television sets anymore mm -hmm. and live television seems to be the real key reality show this is one of the first leagues that's been created during this whole transformative mm -hmm. period. Yep. What's so special about the timing that made this easier to create? I mean, I think it is eSports was kind of hitting this apex that um, and people were becoming uh, more familiar with the term eSports. I mean, even though you, you know, yourself admitted didn't, don't know a lot about eSports, you've Nothing. at least heard Nothing. you've at least heard the word eSports, right? right? And I think that you know TBS really came in at a really great time because they're really able to broaden that awareness and provide people a comfortable way to kind of absorb eSports and know about eSports. And eLeague, I think, has done a phenomenal job with the content that they're creating to make esports more accessible to a mainstream audience. We'll come back to the business in a minute, but what is the what is the trait that makes a really good all-star esport player? Is he does he have to be nimble? 
Is it carpal tunnel less? Is it <laughs> up there? What's the deal? I think it's both. Um, you know, there's definitely in any sport, there's definitely an instinct that players have, um, and then there's also just the there is a little bit of physicality in your hand-eye coordination and reflexes. Um, there's a way to be able to like break down and analyze the game. So it's a little bit of here, it's a little bit with the hand-eye coordination, uh, but the, and then also it's kind of a drive to constantly with any as with, it is with any sport to constantly practice and constantly get better and constantly find ways to improve. So what are the biggest challenges that you now face in the next couple of years? Um, I think that one of the biggest challenges, which isn't something that we can't overcome because we're learning to do it, is um, you know, you're seeing, um, especially in a native digital space, you're seeing ad blockers come in um, and it's harder to monetize um, this community that's coming in because generally, even in television or in digital, you're seeing people come in that you know, run pre-rolls and mid-rolls and that's how they make their money by running these commercials. But with ad blockers, people don't see those. So you have to find ways to integrate different brands and content um, in order to help monetize that audience. So I'll take one of those challenges and then take it to the next step, which is common to the digital transformation age. Do we have confidence that Madison Avenue is going to be smart enough to get out ahead and figure out how to monetize and recommend to their clients that they should monetize? I mean, you're already seeing it. You're seeing a bunch of VCs entering the space. You're seeing um, a bunch of high-level sports brands entering the space. Um, I think right now we're at the point where um, people kind of need to get over a little bit of the FOMO that they're having because yeah. they're hearing about esports, so they're just throwing money in and investing. And I think they need to kind of take a step back and they need to look at what strategically makes sense for their company, why they should invest, and then also finding the right people to leverage whatever asset they're investing in or buying. And, and obviously, this is an area that is so evolving. Does it ever, uh, do you think there's ever a time where the stick and ball sports, baseball, for example, just announced a deal with, uh, with Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. and I guess one of the issues is, do we have a time where the mainstream stick and ball sports, A, respect you, and B, look at you as a partner? I think they already do. You're okay. seeing huge investment by the NBA into esports, right? NBA uh, just announced their league that they're doing um, for esports. You have NBA teams that are investing into esports organizations. You have uh, football teams, meaning our soccer. You have soccer teams abroad investing into esports. So I think you're really starting to see that that happening right now. Finally, Boston Area Conference, Boston National International Conference, Boston yeah. Area Conference, Boston Television Distribution yeah. as well. So what do we tell the esports fans in New England? It's wicked good, and they should definitely, definitely pay attention to esports. So, Christine Alejandra, this is an incredible world. We're going to stay in touch, and thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek. Tanner Simpkins and Ronnie Sokatch, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.